Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it is good to be back with you here this week. Uh, For those of you who were here last week, you know that Pastor Kevin and I were actually both out of town. We try to coordinate our schedules so that one of us is always here, but this one we just uh, couldn't make work, so we were both gone. And uh, those of you who were here, you, you had to uh, bear with us doing a pre-recorded sermon. We uh, re-recorded it in advance, and in that sermon, I was, uh, we did it kind of creatively. I was in a dialogue with Ezra, the character from the Bible, and Ezra was played by Pastor Kevin's index finger with a pen face drawn on it. Low-budget production here at Saints Peter and Paul. You know, sometimes we get these crazy creative ideas and we say, I don't know if that's a good idea, but maybe we should just go for it. So we went for it, and I don't know if it worked or not. So if that sermon was no good, if it was rubble, Well, I pray that I can restore a little bit of credibility uh, here today. (laughs) Rubble restoration. Rubble restoration. That's what we're calling this sermon series that we are in the thick of right now. Those of you joining us as new students, we're working our way through the story of the historical books recorded in Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, This is the story of God's people returning to Jerusalem after having been captives in Babylonian exile for about 70 years. We are reading this story right now during this season because we want you to know that God is a rubble restorer. Jesus is the perfect restorer of rubble. In this world, and in your life. Whatever rubble you have created in your life, whatever mess you have been involved with, Jesus can restore you from the rubble and give you new life in Christ. Jesus restores, he rebuilds, he's doing it in you and he's doing it through you. In our Bibles, the Bibles that you have in your homes and in your hands, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, they look like two separate books. One's called Ezra, one's called Nehemiah. Historically, however, in the Hebrew language, Ezra and Nehemiah were actually one continuous book, as they just tell this one continuous story. We've been working our way through the book of Ezra as we have it recorded, and last week we, we wrapped up the, the, that, that book with chapters 9 and 10, and today we're turning the page into the book of Nehemiah for the next three weeks. Let's take a look at this timeline so we can get our bearings straight of when this is happening. Here's where Nehemiah takes place. In, in 539 BC, the first exiles had returned from Babylon to Jerusalem. And they had gotten to do some work there under the leadership of Zerubbabel. Those of you being with us, maybe this is ringing a bell. They had had some opposition, but were working towards building a temple. And they finally got that completed in 515 BC under the direction and and, uh, encouragement of the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. In the year 458 BC, so a while after the first exiles returned, Ezra had gone to Jerusalem and issued in the reforms and the the teaching 
of God's word. And now Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem in the year 445 BC. So a little bit of time between Ezra and Nehemiah, but you'll see as the story unfolds that they also work together in Jerusalem. The book of Nehemiah starts with Nehemiah still in Babylon. So Nehemiah was still in Babylon at the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, and he had a very important role in the kingdom of Persia. So the Persians ruled the world at this time, and Nehemiah had an important role in the kingdom. His job was to be the cupbearer for the king. Historically, a cupbearer was a very highly trusted official of the king with constant threats of security that the king might be poisoned, the cupbearer's job was to pour the drinks for the king to make sure that he would not be poisoned. So a, a highly trusted official. Now, Nehemiah was a Jew. And living in Babylon, he had gotten word that even though a lot of rebuilding had taken place in Jerusalem over the last 70, 80, 90 years, a lot of the city of Jerusalem was still in rubble. In particular, the city wall, the gates, the protective defensive measures, it was all still in rubble from being destroyed over 140 years ago. So the book of Nehemiah, uh, chapter 1, it begins with Nehemiah praying to God. If you haven't read it, you should read it. It is a, it is a heartfelt prayer. Nehemiah prays to God. He confesses his sins to God. He confesses the collective sins of the people to God. And he, he basically begs God for direction, for insight about how Nehemiah can be involved in the restoration work in Jerusalem. Chapter 2 is what we read a portion of today. The next day, Nehemiah went to the king and the king noticed that Nehemiah was sad after having had this prayer time with God. And so Nehemiah then petitioned to the king, King, will you send me, your highly trusted official, back to Jerusalem, to my city, where my fathers have been buried? Will you send me back there to help rebuild and restore the walls and the gates? Send letters with me to protect me with your authority to do this work. It's a bold petition. And the king ultimately said, yes, go Nehemiah. Nehemiah wanted to build a wall around the city of Jerusalem. I get it. I love walls. Walls are really important, especially when winter starts flying. Those of you new to the area, in about two weeks, we'll have blizzards. <laughs> Just kidding, I hope now. We've still got two more outdoor services to do. After that, Mid-September, that's when the snow starts flying, all right? Right when the blizzards start coming and you still come to church in those whiteout conditions, because that's what youpers do, right? You are pretty happy to have these walls, right? To block out the elements to keep you warm. In the summertime like this, when you've got a building with air conditioning, right? Walls are pretty nice to keep that air conditioning in. We're working on building a garage here at our church. Maybe you saw the foundation poured out back. You can take a look after. Uh, the foundation has been laid. The base has been set. But without walls, it's not very functional. 
right? We want to get walls on that garage to protect the equipment from the elements and to keep it safe, right? Some walls are very purposeful and good. Nehemiah wanted to build the wall around the city of Jerusalem, a very important part of the city. Historically speaking, and at the time that these guys lived in the region where they did, having a city wall was essentially having a city. Because without a city wall, you were left defenseless. So all the major cities had a wall to fortify it, to build it up. It was the primary means of defense. And Jerusalem's wall was still lying in rubble for the last 140, 150 years since King Nebuchadnezzar had totally knocked it down. So Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem with the intent to get to work restoring and rebuilding this wall. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he inspects the wall He makes a plan, and then he gathers together leaders and workers. And if you haven't read Nehemiah 1 through 7, you really should, or at least skim it because it's really fascinating, because basically all the people start working, and the lists of their names are named, like one by one. It says, this guy and his family built next to this person and their family, who built next to this person and this family, who built next to this person and this family. All around, they built together. But throughout the building project, there are opponents to this work. Three primary characters by the name of Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. These guys are opponents of the work of God. My wife and I are about to expect child number four, and we don't know if we're having a boy or girl yet, so we're in the process of still building out name lists And now I have three more to put on the do not name a child. These names, because these are bad guys, all right? So, no, these guys are not treating the people of God well at all. They're opponents of God's work. They're they're people groups, the people they belong to, uh, historically never liked the Jews. And they never got along. They lived in that region together, but they were not fans of the Jews when the Jews lived there before. So now, as Jerusalem is being rebuilt... And Nehemiah, with authority from the king to rebuild, these guys are doing everything in their power to make that work cease. You can read about it. Read chapters 1 through 7. You'll see these names pop up over and over again. They do things like mock them, mock the Jews. They tease them. They taunt them. They threaten them. They try to get everybody into a state of confusion to to make everybody just want to stop the work. It's really quite ridiculous. You know people like this. Don't you people like this in your life, in the world? Opponents to you trying to live a good godly life? People that pop up in your life and speak words of negativity to you as you are trying to lead a good and godly life and they consider you a bore. You know people like this, like when you have a scheduling conflict on a Sunday morning and you need to choose between attending church and another activity and you choose to attend church together as a family and people deride your decision. You know people like this, the, the opponents who, who, who mock you and tease you 
As the gossip train is flowing at work and, and, and going right past you, as people are being mocked and you choose to bite your lip and not speak poorly about another, and everybody else says, what's your deal? Come on, you know how they are. The devil wants to do everything in his power to stop you from living a good, godly life. And maybe this is the worst that you will experience in your life. However, for many of our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world, it's much worse than this. You've seen the news. You know what's happening in places like Afghanistan right now. Afghanistan was already one of the most dangerous places to be a Christian. It is becoming more and more dangerous by every single day. Literal threats to people's lives for simply proclaiming Christ. The devil does not want the word of God to prosper in this world and will use any means necessary to try to stop the work of God. Maybe this is why Nehemiah was such a proponent of building walls. <laughs> Actually, it, it even says that these guys, Sambalit and Tobiah and Geshem, were, they were threatening the workers. It even says at one point that the workers were building with one sword in their hands and building with the other hand. Maybe that's what your life feels like sometimes. Trying to build a good godly life, but at the same time, just like, ah, I can't, I don't know how to get this thing going. I think that's why Nehemiah was such a proponent of building the wall so that the people could be protected from threats and instead so that they could thrive. Walls can serve a great purpose. However, I need to be very clear at this point. Only certain kinds of walls can serve a great purpose. I would say it like this. I think this is what the Scripture teaches and what I want to proclaim to you today I believe there are two kinds of walls. There are walls of hostility and there are walls of hope. There are walls of hostility and there are walls of hope. Walls of hostility are the kinds of walls that we build. Walls of hope are the kind of walls that God builds. Here's how we build walls of hostility. We build walls of hostility when we have a different way of seeing the world than someone else. And instead of trying to find a mutual agreement and understanding, we block them on social media, we unfriend them, or in real life, we put up a wall of hostility so we don't ever have to see that person or their point of view again. We build walls of hostility in this world when we have a disagreement with someone, when we're not seeing eye to eye, and instead of seeking reconciliation and a resolution in Christ, we build a wall of hostility to protect ourselves and shun the other person. We build walls of hostility when we feel threatened, when we feel like, like, like we are being attacked, whether it's perceived or true, we build walls of hostility as a defense mechanism to protect ourselves and stay at peace. We build walls of hostility in order to keep people out. 
Walls of hostility are built to keep people out of our lives. Well, guess what? Jesus tears down walls of hostility. There is no place for walls of hostility in the kingdom of Christ. We read it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 today, which says this, For he himself, that is Jesus, Jesus is our peace, and he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This is in direct relationship to our relationship with our Father who is in heaven. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, every wall of hostility has been torn down. God harbors no ill feelings against you. Whatever rubble you have made in your life, it can be restored. Whatever mess you have been involved with, Jesus is willing to rescue you and deliver you up out of that mess into a newness of life. Whatever you did yesterday that was not good, Jesus forgives you. Whatever thought of your mind this morning that was angry or impure, Jesus forgives you. He restores you. He's torn down the wall of hostility between God the Father and you and also between you and other people. Jesus tears down walls of hostility. And out of the rubble, he rebuilds walls of hope. Walls of hope. Jesus tears down walls of hostility and rebuilds walls of hope. What are walls of hope? The walls of hope are the, are the walls that God has promised to build around you, to protect you from the evil one. The scriptures are clear throughout that this is what God intends for you to protect you and not harm you. I could list countless places in the scripture, but let me share two. One is in Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. God is like a safe harbor for you when the storms of life appear. God is like a fortress, a mighty fortress where you can find your strength in times of trouble. In the New Testament, in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul says this, the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, it will guard you. That is a military term in the Greek language. A military term for to guard you. The peace of God guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what do we learn throughout the scriptures is that God loves you. He intends to protect you, to give you his peace, to surround you. You don't need to build walls of hostility to keep other people out and protect yourself, for God protects you. God provides for you. God is with you all of the time. Jesus Christ surrounds you and fills you and has sent his spirit into your life. God has built walls of hope all around you. 
And walls of hope are also walls of hospitality. They're not designed to keep people out, but to invite people in. You are welcome inside these walls of hope. Strangers, neighbors, friends, foreigners are all welcome inside these walls of hope. People of different backgrounds and jobs and ages and skill sets and education levels and nationalities are all welcome inside of these walls of hope because God builds these walls for you. These walls are not meant to keep people out but to invite people in. At Saints Peter and Paul, we want to be a church that is built with walls of hope. We want to be a church that's built with walls of hope, a church of hope, a people of hope. Our vision is the same vision of the scriptures that in these walls of hope, there will be people from every nation and language and tribe collectively crying out praises to our God, the Lamb who sits on the throne. Salvation belongs to our God. We desire to be a church where the hope of God is not just proclaimed, but it is practiced. We want to be a church where people who have made their lives to be rubble can find restoration in Jesus Christ. That is the kind of church that we desire to be because of God's goodness and grace. We proclaim that there is no hostility between the Father and us. Jesus died to forgive you. Of all of your sins, Jesus rose from the dead to give you eternal life. Jesus is coming back to make all things new. There are no walls of hostility in the kingdom of God. But out of the rubble that Jesus tears down, he rebuilds walls of hope. If you are surrounded still in your life by walls of hostility, I urge you to repent. Repent to ask God to knock down those walls. To ask God, plead with Him, beg with Him to heal your heart, teach you to forgive as you've been forgiven, and to how to live with gentleness, patience, and understanding. Ask God to fill you with the hope that is yours in Jesus. And Jesus will rebuild you because He always does. Up out of the rubble, Jesus builds you. Up out of hostility and into hope, Jesus builds walls of hope, not to keep people out, but to invite them in. These are the walls that you are surrounded by, for you are surrounded by Jesus Christ and his goodness and grace for you. Live in it, for you are alive in Christ. May the peace and grace of God be yours now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.